Manufacturing versus services, jobs, and earnings on the way. Welcome. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Here we go. I'm Danny Clayton. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, is in the studio. Hello. Hello. And welcome, Dave Spano, President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. We've had some beautiful weather lately, but really the questions that we're all asking, unfortunately, revolve around the Federal Reserve again. And today's show is brought to you by the letter P. Will they pause? Will they pivot? Or will they persist in raising rates? And we all know that last week, Brian, that they did pause. But now we're looking at all the data that we got and what the Fed is probably going to do on July 25 and 26. And it really can go back. We got a jobs report Friday. Friday morning that was stronger than expected. It really was. You know, if you look at the labor market, it is very strong. The Federal Reserve has been saying that it is too tight. So it's just that there's all these job openings still trying to fill it. And so they're still worried that, man, if this economy is running hot, that's going to lead to more persistent inflation. Then we also got the minutes from the previous meeting. And I was a little surprised at almost how um, intent some of those members were about hiking. It's almost like Chair Powell had to talk them off the ledge a little bit to come to the consensus, let's take a pause, but then come July 25th, 26th, let's maybe hit the play button again and persist with these rate hikes. And that was the pause. And there are some hawks and there are some doves on that committee. And some of the doves said they don't want to see any more rate hikes because it could push the economy deeper into a recession. But of course, we're seeing these rate raises and a continuation that will likely see some 92% chance by those who watch this that we'll see a rate raise July 25 and 26. And for lots of reasons, we're concerned about it. But the big reason is higher interest rates, of course, put more pressure on valuations of equities and bonds. It really does. And when we look at the whole mosaic of valuations, there's different multiples that you can look at, let's say, price relative to earnings, cash flows, book value, all of these do look elevated, uh, especially when you adjust for where interest rates are. If you think about bonds as being a nice competitor for equities for people investing their money, uh, it really, if the Fed is going to persist with these rate hikes, it does seem to us that it could put some more pressure on those valuations. We need to have the market being driven more by fundamentals of earnings as opposed to sentiment coming from the multiples. You know, I often don't call you Dr. Brian Jacobson, but you are a a PhD. And, and, you know, I think as an economist, you clearly could be on the Federal Reserve Board because it seems pretty simple. All they're doing <laughs> is following market rates. And that's what they're going to have to do with the 10-year and the two-year surging 10-year over 4% now. Yeah. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult if I could be on the Federal Reserve <laughs> that's Board. That's a good point. Right? I didn't you know, mean to make I, I like it here. <laughs> no. But, you know, there is this argument about they were late to hiking, they're going to likely be late to recognizing that they've taken it too far. And as an institution, the Federal Reserve has been around since 1913. You know, they've only had 110 years to try to figure this out, and they seem to go from one mistake to the next. Well, they're different human beings, though, right? (laughs) That's true. Yeah, it's not the same people. And humanity is different. That's correct. Yeah, very true. But as far as what they're likely to do, maybe one or two more hikes, which we can take a little bit more comfort in, because there's not a lot of talk of them trying to push their target rate to something closer to, say, 6%. If they were to push it to, say, 5.5%, which is what the consensus is calling for, you know, corporate America is adaptable. 
they're flexible, they're probably going to be able to weather that storm. But if the Fed were to try to surprise by going to six, that's uh, the type of storm that even if you're wearing a life jacket, that it's not going to help you much. You know, and one of the things that we talk about in getting thrown into the water with a life jacket is that we maybe even be having a rolling recession. We look at, of course, uh, the numbers in the manufacturing, which have contracted for eight months in a row. And are we having a rolling recession across segments is something that we do look at. And the reason why I bring that up, Brian and Danny, is because you have to look at your portfolio and say, what parts are doing well? What parts are not doing well? Where is the opportunity set? As there is a change in interest rates, you have to look at your portfolio, folks. You have to know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. And Dave, how different is that allocation than six months ago? Even? Yeah, well, it, has to, it has to move, Danny, because of the facts and circumstances do change. Plus, you've always wanted to work with Dr. J, and now you are. That's ah, right. very yeah, few, thank right. You. Brian Jacobs, Chief Economist, Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Put them to work, folks. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. By the way, you can hear a podcast version of the Week in Review on demand at the top of the hour, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Also on the Axiom Newsletter, which delivers on Sunday. Saturday, July 8th, the final weekend of Summerfest, it's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Website, AnnexWealth.com. I'm Danny Clayton. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management, is here. So is Dave Spano, President and CEO. Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, we talked about the payroll report at the end of the last segment. And of course, there is this divide that's happening between services and manufacturing. Folks, I did mention that manufacturing could be in a recession contracting for eight months in a row. It would appear that way to me. But there is this divide and and services uh, look like they're doing better than what manufacturing is. It really does. And this is some a trend that really began coming out of COVID. If you remember with COVID, everybody kind of swung towards spending on goods because you couldn't spend on services. And now the pendulum swinging the other way. And I think that a lot of the strength that we're seeing in services is just a continuation of that trend of people trying to get back to whatever normal is yep. going to look like for and their consumption. And revenge travel, that's the other thing that we're seeing, yeah. right? I and mean, we might be towards the, the end world. of it. Yeah. You know, it, when we talk to uh, people in the travel industry, uh, what we're hearing from the hotel owners, airline uh, executives, is that people are getting a little fed up with the costs, the delays, all the headaches associated with it. So some of that revenge travel travel is likely going to dissipate over the balance of the year. And that's one of the reasons why on our investment committee, we talk a lot about that, this bifurcation, the difference between manufacturing and services and how much of services seems to be driven by things that aren't really sustainable. It's just a question of how long will it take for them to run out? Right. So you mentioned that higher prices, of course, that is inflation. And that really is something that we're going to have to continue to pay attention to. The Fed has set this number out there that it's self-described number at 2%. And maybe it's going to run higher. And they're trying to raise interest rates to slow down demand and slow down job growth, and maybe they don't have the tools in the toolbox. Yeah, I think one of the problems is that they don't take supply seriously enough. You know, they think that by hiking rates, they can reduce demand, but it also has an effect on businesses and on supply as well. You suddenly increase interest rates. What does that do? It disincentivizes. It means that businesses don't want to invest as much for future growth. So there are going to be long-term 
side effects to hiking rates so quickly that could actually make their job harder right. in reducing inflation as opposed to making it easier. So in the two things I want to get to, number one is the comparisons are going to be better because inflation yes. was higher last year. So when they compare it, it's going to look like it's getting better because comparisons were high. And the last thing I do want to certainly cover is as we head into July, it's beginning of earnings season. And that is going to be very important because we have numbers for the first half of the year and we'll get a good look at a number of these companies. Yeah. And so far, it's looking like for the S&P 500 companies, analysts are expecting a quarter on quarter decline. But effectively, this earnings recession that we've been talking a lot about, we even if we haven't had an economic recession, there's been an earnings recession for businesses. And uh, the what we think is sort of a differentiated view that we have is that most people are going to call it all done when we get through this earnings season that the earnings recession is behind us. We think there could be a little bit more weakness in earnings in the third quarter and fourth quarter. Even the staff economists at the Fed have said that it is likely the U.S. economy is going into a recession in the fourth quarter of this year. Typically, that's not a great thing for earnings. So we could see a little bit more weakness in earnings for the balance of this year. And what I do want to clear that up, because the Fed is is purposely trying to slow the economy down, but it has a lagging effect. So they started raising rates more than a year ago. And so maybe that lagging effect hasn't taken full effect quite yet. And we're going to have to watch that closely. That's right. The conventional wisdom used to be it was 12 to 18 months. Well, they started hiking March 2022. You count out 18 months from that, and you basically get into the third quarter of this year. So the lagged effects, we're just beginning to see that effect on inflation. And as you pointed out, the year-on-year comparisons are going to get a lot easier. June 2022, inflation was 9% year-on-year. Now it's likely going to be closer to 3%. But a lot of that was just because of the spike in prices that we saw a year ago. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. By the way, nice job on Thursday on CNBC. Oh, thank you so much yeah, for that. Dave yeah. Spano, our President and CEO. Thank not, you very much. Not on CNBC. <laughs> no, faces for radio, <laughs> yeah, folks. Faces yes, for radio. <laughs> folks, we always say know the difference. We want you to hear the difference next with one of our clients. This is his story. Why don't you stick around because his retirement journey is pretty darn amazing. We'll take a break and be back with that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, and that's the goal of this segment, an opportunity to meet a real-life client of Annex who we work with for investment, retirement, estate, and tax planning. It is another Hear the Difference conversation. Let's say hello to Garrett. Hey, Garrett. Hey, Danny. How are you today? Good, thanks. Hey, at the top, let's get some business out of the way, some quick questions. You are a client of Annex Wealth Management? Yes, I am. Annex is not providing any type of compensation for your time on this segment. That's correct. And there's no conflicts of interest between you as a client and Annex as a firm. That's correct. Complete transparency, ladies and gentlemen. I met Garrett doing what we call punishment. How would you describe what it is that we do? It's something that makes no sense to most people. Well, Danny, we like to go rucking, which is essentially walking around with 40-pound backpacks on our backs for between three and six miles. And we also do this at five o'clock in the morning, three days a week. Then after that, we lift heavy things like sandbags to try to maintain some strength. Essentially, I was really just looked at it as training for our life. There you go. And that's why we call it punishment. So in the course of our rucks and our various workouts, the conversation is all over the place. You and I are about the same age and retirement, I'm sure, must have come up at some point. And plus, Dan Phillips from our crew was part of the gang as well. At the time, you were not that far from actual retirement, were you? 
Yeah, that's correct, Danny. I think we met about two years ago during our rucks. Our conversations go a lot of different places while we're walking next to each other for two to three hours. And one of those places was retirement. For me at that point, it was about two to three years away from retiring. So at that point, did you have any kind of a plan in place? I'm sure you had investments. Actually, I had lots of plans in place. (laughs) Uh, The problem was that they were really just strictly for my investments. I really hadn't looked at any kind of tax planning. I hadn't looked at any kind of insurance after I left my current job because I'm retired before I hit 65. I had lots of things all over the place, but I didn't have any one person that was helping me to coordinate all those aspects. Through our discussions, I ended up realizing very quickly that I really need to have someone that was way smarter than me about those things, specifically helping me coordinate all the aspects of my retirement. Now, you're a pretty smart guy. You got an engineering background, and I'm going to guess that probably means that you approach things from an engineering type of standpoint. Very much so. I did start putting money away very early. As soon as I got my first job out of school, I started putting money away, and then I took advantage of my employer's 401k plan. So my wife and I have been pretty much saving our entire lives. We developed a pretty good nest egg. The problem that we ran into is as retirement got closer, I realized that there was a lot more to my overall planning than just strictly the investment part of it. If I'm going to take retirement funds, where do I take them from? How much income do I want in a given year? And through our discussions with Deanne on on our rucks, she really helped me kind of understand that Annex was the place to help me with all of those aspects of retirement. What I was really looking for was one place, so I only had to make one phone call if I had a question about whether it was my wife going on to Medicare or whether it was my personal insurance as far as my health insurance or where my investments were. Trusting the person that was making those decisions for me was absolutely critical to going with Annex. And you went through all the typical steps that everybody does, the portfolio analysis, the meetings with the wealth manager. And when it was right, you became a client of Annex. Was there a moment when you thought, you know what, these people are different? Absolutely. I was actually having a discussion with Deanne about something with regard to rolling my 401k over to Annex and a couple of other questions that I have. And we talked for probably about 20 minutes uh, before I even realized that she was actually on vacation when we had that conversation. Yet she still picked up the phone because that was important to her. And I've never had a group that I worked with before where somebody picked up the phone when they were on vacation because it was an important question that I had. And that really meant a lot to me. As I get a little bit older, I realize that my time is worth something. When you've got limited amount of time left, uh, you want to make sure that you are taking best advantage of it. I simply didn't have the time to do the research that I really would have needed to do to, to do the things that I've done with Annex. And another thing that was really important to me was to be able to find someone that my wife, Christine, was comfortable with. I've seen too many cases, my mom's case in particular, where something happened to the husband or another partner in the relationship. And in my case, I didn't want Christine to be left not understanding or not knowing where everything was placed and not knowing what to do. I've seen that cause way too much heartache. So you are freshly retired. I would love for you to share the story about the grand adventure, and it is a grand adventure. My wife and I are going to be leaving on our 32-foot Nordic tug, and we're going to be completing a trip that's called the Great Loop. It's about a 6,000-mile trip that we take around the eastern half of the United States. We'll leave the Great Lakes. We'll go over to the Mississippi, then down to the Ohio River, then take the river system down to Mobile, Alabama, 
Uh, we'll spend the winter down in Florida and the Bahamas, and then in the spring we'll come back up the East Coast, and we will go up into Canada for the summer, and then we'll spend the summer up into Canada and the Great Lakes. Uh, we'll be coming back to our home port. Folks, you're listening to this, so you can't see Garrett, but he's actually in motorcycle gear. You're involved in an organization that does some pretty amazing work with abused children. Working with a group called Guardians of the Children. Uh, We're an organization. We have 46 chapters in 19 states, and then we have six chapters in Canada. We work with abused children and their families to try to give them strength and stability throughout their ordeal. We work with the public also to educate them and to recognize and react to child abuse. When a parent or guardian of an abused child approaches us for help, we actually adopt the child into our group and give them their own road vest and their own road name. We will escort the family to court and be there for them to provide support for whatever they need as far as help and support when they are in court. We're just really there to be emotional support and to let them know that they're not alone. That's awesome. Garrett, we are glad to be your partner on land, two wheels, and on the water. Thank you. Thank you very much, Danny. So breaking it down simply, Annex Wealth Management handles investment and retirement planning and tax planning and estate planning. And we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Website, AnnexWealth.com. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Bottom of the hour, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager, and Director of Branch Development. Welcome back. Danny. Part of the process of working with Annex Wealth Management is our complimentary portfolio review. We do insurance analysis for our clients. We have Wealthmetric, a great look at what's next for our clients. Tax planning is part of our service to our clients. Estate planning is also part. But Brandon, none of those things is financial planning. Why not? Well, it's really because if you're just looking at each of those individually, you're looking at it in a vacuum, right? So how does each impact one another? Prime example, for instance, is insurance. I'm picking on insurance because when you look at it, just stand alone, it might make sense or it might not. You might have had a recommendation to do X, but do they know about everything else? That's where you really need to take and start tying it all in together. If you think about it, all of them are important by themselves, but when you tie it in together, it's what's important to you. Not just important as a topic, but important to you. You find that most people as they age, they probably get insurance first. Maybe they're investing a little bit. You have insurance even in your 20s, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest. I have a, I have term. I have a family. I have a mortgage. There's things that you have to cover. So we, we all start there, but then you have to think about how that impacts everything else as well. That's one piece. Let's talk about another piece, which is investment planning. So investment planning, you know, we're all taught at an early age, you know, put it in the 401k, save, but how are you doing that? Is it the most effective? Is it the most efficient way? I look at, you know, are you getting the full match? Are you at least getting the full match? Are you putting enough to get that? Are you maxing out? What percentage goes into Roth 401k versus traditional 401k if you have that? But you don't know the answer to that unless you dive into the rest of the stuff that we're talking about today. You know what? And I called it investment planning earlier. That's not investment planning. That is just plain old investing. Correct. Correct. You're, you're actually not planning for much except save and retire. But you have to tie it all in. And all of it goes on all the different other parts that exist. We're with Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager and Director of Branch Development. We're talking about a financial plan only being as good as the sum of its parts, unbalanced, it's unproductive. How about tax planning? So that dives back into what we just mentioned when you talk investments. Well, it's investment planning, 
but what are you doing? Is it impacting your tax plan? Do you even know? Have you looked at it? That's the question where you have to tie it all back. Again, in silos, yes, it's good to review, but how does it impact? The biggest question that we probably get from folks when you think about the accumulators, the younger accumulators, especially maybe 30 to 50 is, should I do pre-tax 401k or Roth 401k? And that's about it. And, yeah. and that's the question. Right. And, and my answer is, I don't know. And and they look at me kind of, well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, it, it depends. And then it, it depends because what is your situation? If we're just looking at it in a vacuum, well, sure, do one of them. But how does the tax plan fit? And that's where tax planning is so important. But again, if you're letting the tax tail wag the dog, now you've gotten away from the rest of the planning you're trying to get done. Yeah. And then the nitty gritty, which is retirement planning. And that's really where you start to need these things. But I'm sure that we've got some people that come into Annex Wealth Management and they've done the investing and they've got an insurance policy and maybe they've got a will, and but it's still not a retirement plan. No, it's not. And in, in a plan is a holistic approach to everything you have going on. It's tying in all of these different components. So the components of the tax, the components of the investments, the components of the insurance, and then the estate. You know, estate is something that most people kind of gloss over because, hey, I did that. But your life has changed over the course of maybe 20 years. My life has changed since the last time I did mine. I haven't done mine in a few years. And now we have three kids. So it's it's important to sit down and review. But when you look at the retirement plan, how does it all fit in? Because Retirement planning is a broad category, but you as an individual household need to have one specific to you and yours is different. For sure, it's going to be different than anybody else you talk to because everybody's situation is different. We recently talked about the value of an advisor and an advisor like Annex Wealth Management really ties all this stuff together because somebody comes in and they've got you know an armful of statements and maybe a, an old will that they've got and all this stuff, it needs to get sewn up. Correct. I think that's one of the things I enjoy the most about when we start a relationship with somebody at Annex is it's gathering all those pieces and then finding things and saying, hey, do you remember this? Have you thought about this? And they go, wow, I haven't looked at that in years. A great thing we just went through was an insurance review again with somebody and they go, you know what? I'm not even sure if we still have that. And then they look and they go, oh, wow, it actually is still being drawn from our bank account. Um, but it was a small amount. It, it just it was something where they had seen it, they remembered it. But as we took a deep dive and started going down all these, you could call them rabbit holes, mm-hmm. but that lead to one true plan at the end and say, this is what you need to do based on our recommendations and what we see as a team at Annex. I think a lot of people would say, I'm just really too busy. It's not a good time. You can't be too busy. And it is the time. It's always the time. Um, we have a picture in our hallway that talks about, you know, what's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago or today? You know, you got to start somewhere. And I look at that as there's no time like the present, because if you wait, things can change that you might not have been able to plan for, particularly uh, maybe a layoff, maybe a change in lifestyle, maybe a health issue. So if you can't plan for all that, but you can at least put it together and start discussing it. Put it together. All of it. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. It's a fee-only fiduciary. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Lehman, CFP, Wealth Manager and Director of Branch Development. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Danny. We'll be right back. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. 
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? I spotted a fascinating study titled Longevity and the New Journey to Retirement, Covering Aging and Financial Habits in America. I immediately thought of Mark Becker, Managing Director, Wealth Management Services, and just like magic, here he is. Hey, Mark. Hi, Danny. So you're in front of many of our clients. You've got significant experience seeing them progress through phases of retirement. This study names four sub-phases that people might pass through. I want to talk about the four sub-phases, get your thoughts and perspective. The first phase, which is actually accounting for the 10 years before retirement, is what's called the anticipation phase. It's marked by optimism, excitement over the prospect of retiring, with some anxiety over financial readiness. This is the period in which financial advice is most sought. Is that what you find? Well... I'm actually glad to hear people talk in terms of 10 years prior to retirement. I would say I see that more around five years prior to retirement where people start to dial in and get a little more focused and a little more detailed. But 10 years is a better window. Really, you should be getting financial advice from the beginning. But when you start to think about solidifying your plan, preparing for retirement, that's a good phase to think about. There's some of the questions, by the way, in my mind that come up that are common to be addressing here. This is the do I have enough money conversation, really? And there's a lot of different ways that people approach that, but at the heart of it is really that aspect, right? And the other piece is what don't I know? So what are the things I need to be putting in place to properly prepare myself to make that transition into retirement? If people feel that they might not have enough, are there things that they can do 10 years, five years out that can address that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's you. this is where you're going to solidify, am I adequately saving enough? Am I doing it efficiently enough? So for example, I can maybe save more, but if I do it post-tax instead of pre-tax, it'll be more valuable in retirement. So move some needles a little bit. You're also really starting to pay attention to what your lifestyle costs. Get focused on that and you think about what is my actual cash flow, not what's my income, not what did the W-2 say, you know, when I was doing my taxes, but what does my cash flow need? And you can see that that will be a dramatically different number. The second phase, which runs from the day after retirement to two years being retired, is the liberation slash disorientation phase. Here, new retirees are excited by new freedoms, the luxury of time, but they're also uncertain about how to spend their time and money. Some 25% of retirees in this phase consider themselves semi-retired and may still work. Do you find this? Oh, absolutely. Semi-retirement has grown popularity a lot. I think it's a great tool. It's a great segue from you know the career focused into kind of the retirement phase. So if that's part of your plan, I think it's a really good idea. I like that we're also talking about how do I spend my time and my money. Often I find with people who have been very, very career focused, they may not have a lot of hobbies. They might not have those things outside of work that they're really interested in. And I'll sort of start to nudge them around planning for what might that look like? Where are you going to spend your time? What are the things that are going to keep you engaged and feeling young and you know motivated and those kinds of things? And uh, you know, watching people go into that first phase, those folks that have a game plan, they know what they want to do, they have interests and hobbies, they're very well adjusted a couple of years into retirement. And those folks that are trying to reinvent that piece, they don't know where to spend their time, they struggle a little bit more with that transition to retirement. So I've witnessed that with people and, and try to push them. I've even gone so far as to say to folks that are, I think are going to struggle just with the personality shift that occurs, make sure you plan right away heading into retirement where you want to take, say, your retirement vacation, because this will give you a clear break in terms of the alarm clock every single day versus there's no need for alarm clock anymore. So kind of get yourself out of your normal environment and move on. 
From year three to 14 of retirement, retirees are in the reinvention phase, which is the heart of retirement, according to this study. It's when retirees do the most, they explore the most, family is growing, that's a big pleasure. Health becomes a little bit more of a concern, and that's where retirees learn to shift their mindset from accumulation to distribution. Yeah, starting to settle into the routine of a good financial plan that they're counting on. So I think about this, if you look at the transition out of the liberation disorientation phase that we were just talking about. About. Financial anxiety there is usually, I'm not sure if my budget numbers are right. I'm not sure if my spending assumption is right. And so therefore, I'm questioning the validity of my financial plan. Now I'll move into this new phase here, the reinvention phase. They're starting to really get comfortable with, yeah, I see what my cash flow looks like. I know that we've built a financial plan based on reasonable assumptions. This is me. This is what my plan ought to look like and I see the outcome to it. And so the watching the movement of the market every single day and translating that into spendable dollars, that risk that is associated with that dissipates at this point and it gets settled in. So this is a comfort zone for people. This is where we're really just being happy about where we are financially and happy about where we're spending our time and our energies in retirement. At year 15, retirees enter the reflection resolution stage. It's a good time. They've learned to live within their means. They've remained resilient, even in the face of loss that they might face. They start to think about legacy. Yeah, this is a big transition, too, for folks. You know, where do I want to make my impact? You know, we all start to face that reality that we're not here forever. And, you know, it's a win for all of us, not a if for all of us that we're going to pass away at some day. So thinking about what my legacy might be, how that might feel, what I want to do, what I want to accomplish. Ten years out, right on the doorstep, already retired, we take the time to meet the need. Mark Beck is Managing Director of Wealth Management Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for having me, Danny. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. If you came in late, this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. I'm Danny Clayton. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, still in the studio. Brian, I'd like to go back to something you and Dave talked about early in the show. And really, it's kind of getting caught up because July 4th is kind of one of those odd weeks, right? People took off a super long week, but there was a significant amount of economic data that landed that was important. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing about the 4th of July is when does it fall? Because a lot of people on Wall Street like to take their vacations and kind of extend it for the entire week. But yet it is an incredibly important week when it comes to all the economic data that comes out. Uh, The first week of every month, we get the Institute for supply management. They released their manufacturing purchasing managers index, so kind of a health of the manufacturing sector. Then they also released their services index, so the health of the service sector. Plus, we get the employment situation report, which is one of the biggest data releases of every month. So it's really kind of a horrible week to take off if uh, you're a data junkie like I am. And the what do I believe factor comes in because ADP came in, as you guys said, a gangbuster number. The Labor Department number came in under estimates mm-hmm. at 209. What are we to believe? And actually, which one counts more? Yeah, I, the one that counts most, I think the gold standard is really the one from the government, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, because it is more comprehensive. It has a longer history. ADP, so, you know, great company as far as with the data processing for payrolls and all that. But they've had some troubles in the past as far as they release the numbers and then how predictive is it of what comes out from the government? And it doesn't have a very good track record on that front. So what they started doing, uh, I think it was about a year or two ago, is saying that, look, we're not trying to predict the government's number. This is an independent look 
at what the health of the labor market is. And so they really say this is for the private sector. And they said that the number came in at like 497,000, which was way above expectations. And they showed tremendous strength from the leisure and hospitality industry. But when you get the government's numbers a day later, it says, eh, not so fast. That might have just been due to seasonal factors. You know, if you think about the June, we did have the Juneteenth holiday. They're still trying to figure out how to seasonally adjust for that. You also get all sorts of changes as far as with, uh, say, government employment with education. And so the Labor Department was basically saying, you know, that ADP number might have been a little overstated. The We kind of sort of want to see that employment number come down a little bit. And it did with mm-hmm. 209,000. But you said wage pressure is still on. And I yeah. think a lot of people might not consider that, that that is a factor with inflation. People have to pay more for employees. Yes. When you look at the entire cost of kind of think about it going from starting to end in terms of getting stuff out of the ground or producing services and selling it, what you charge. So there's all sorts of links in the chain as far as what can cause inflation. Uh, wage growth has has been a concern of the feds, but we haven't seen this type of spiral where wage growth leads to faster inflation, leading to faster wage growth. It's been sort of muddling along, but we did get a decent uptick in wage growth in the June number, which caught some people by surprise. Does it help if people are making more that perhaps they are going to spend more? It does. You know, that's one of the things is where do you uh, get your consumption from? It's from what you actually earn. Now, wage growth does not have to be inflation. Inflationary. Uh, a key component there is productivity. How productive are people? Uh, if you are in- producing more, you should get paid more. But if you're producing even more than what you basically are earning, you can actually increase productivity, lower unit what's called unit labor costs. So that's the cost to the businesses of paying you relative to what they're able to sell the products for. And it can actually be deflationary. So it's really about paying for quality. In our last 30 seconds, what are we looking at next week? Next week is a very interesting week. Not as big as this past week, but I'm really looking at the inflation numbers that are coming out on Wednesday. CPI, Consumer Price Index, that's coming out. We're expecting it to maybe come down to about 3%. So a marked improvement over where we were just a year ago. That would be quite a bit, right? Last year, June 2022, peaked out at around 9%. Now maybe it's uh, something closer to 3 Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Great to have you in team. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, take a positive step toward the kind of retirement you desire. We can help put things in order. It only takes a couple of minutes. Get that ball rolling. You're under no obligation. AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back next Saturday at 10 o'clock. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.